Week four. We've come to our final week of Mark, and this week it's all on the line for us. This week we came to Jesus' final act, the work he came to do, his work on the cross. We began this week with Jesus' parable of the tenants, a clear warning against the hypocritical religious leaders, but also a staggering, even chilling foreshadowing of the rest of Mark. Jesus' final words in these chapters were filled with sobering truth and even grace-filled warnings. He continued to reinforce the unexpected nature of his kingdom, and Jesus was clear about who he is. When the high priest questions him, he is asked point blank, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus responds, I am. But of course, the true climax of our week and all of this gospel comes in its final chapters. The plot to kill Jesus, his final night with his disciples, his arrest, trial, and death. Everything hangs on these moments. Because Jesus' call to discipleship that we've been reading all through Mark means nothing without the cross. Of course, his resurrection is what makes this death so significant. In his resurrection, Jesus claims power over death and over sin which is how we can have life in him. But Mark's emphasis here is largely his death and the events leading up to it. So I've been turning these over in my mind this week. Why the cross anyway? Why did Jesus have to die? The cost of sin is enormous. God's perfect love and perfect justice require that a penalty be paid for it. He cannot simply ignore sin. We don't long for him to look past the deep wounds inflicted on us. We long for justice, healing, and restoration. Jesus' last evening with his disciples was Passover, the feast to remember the last plague that fell on Egypt by God's hand before he would rescue his people in the Exodus. It was the death plague on all of the firstborns. The angel of death would spare no firstborn, and God had to give the Israelites special instructions to strictly follow in order that their children would be spared. They were to kill a lamb without blemish, spread its blood over their doorposts and lentil, and stay inside. It's no mistake that Jesus would spend his last evening at this table. He says to his disciples, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Remember the incredible mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus is a man, but that also he is our divine Messiah. He is God the Son. There was no way for the sins of humanity to be adequately dealt with by humanity. And there was also no way for God to ignore sin. It had to be dealt with if there was any way for the curse of death over us to be broken. So God came himself to break that curse. Later that evening, Jesus and his disciples go to Gethsemane, and we see Jesus utterly unlike we have seen him ever before. The text says, Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me. Listen to how Tim Keller describes this scene. Something happened in the garden. Jesus saw, felt, sensed something, and it shocked the unshockable Son of God. He was facing something beyond physical torment, even beyond physical death, something so much worse. In the Hebrew scriptures, the cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God on human evil, an image of divine justice poured out on injustice. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus turns to the Father, and all he can see before him is wrath, the abyss, the chasm, the nothingness of the cup. 
Jesus begins to experience merely a foretaste of the spiritual, cosmic, infinite disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his father on the cross. And he staggered. The cross is unimaginable torture, not primarily because it is a gruesome, painful, humiliating death but because it's God's wrath toward all of sin and injustice for all humanity through all of time poured out on his beloved son, utter darkness and tormenting alienation. Jesus feels this in the garden. It's no surprise. He says to the father, remove this cup from me. But then he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. No alternative comes for Jesus. There is no other way. And here's the unfathomable thing. He goes. He goes to the cross for us, out of love for us. He willingly lays down his life. He picks up utter darkness, spiritual desolation, the divine wrath of the Father. We had marked ourselves for death, and yet he says, take my life. I will die your death for you. All we have to do to gain this life is to fall on the blood of his sacrifice, put it on the doorposts and lentils of our hearts, so to speak. He has taken our death from us in perfect willing love for us so that we might live. Oh, that we would receive this gift, fall on his grace, yield to his care and leading, abide in his love. In closing, let these words by Andrew Murray wash over you. And let us rejoice afresh in the gift of life Christ offers to us freely. Christ Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, I, the living one, who have so completely given myself to you, am the vine. You cannot trust me too much. I am the almighty worker, full of divine life and power. You are the branches of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is in your heart the consciousness that you are not a strong, healthy, fruit-bearing branch, not closely linked with Jesus, not living in him as you should be, then listen to him say, I am the vine. I will receive you. I will draw you to myself. I will bless you. I will strengthen you. I will fill you with my spirit. I, the vine, have taken you to be my branches. I have given myself utterly to you. Children, give yourselves utterly to me. I have surrendered myself as God absolutely to you. I became man and died for you that I might be entirely yours. Come and surrender yourselves entirely to be mine.